This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Ulster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. We were out last week. We're on hiatus. Uh, so we are just going to cover the news this week because there's been quite a bit of it in the past two weeks. Yes. Um, one thing we wanted to tell everybody is uh, while we were out, the shuttle pod was not out and they did a particularly entertaining podcast about chairs in Star Trek, which we highly recommend. <laughs> yes. You know, one of the reasons we launched All Access Star Trek, where TrekMovie.com went from one podcast to two, was that all of the new shows were kind of consuming ShuttlePod. And we wanted a new podcast, this podcast, All Access Star Trek with Laurie and myself, to focus just on the new shows, leaving the ShuttlePod team to do whatever they want. And they could talk about the new shows, or they could do an entire podcast about chairs. In Star which, Trek. Which they did. Even though I have to say they did leave out a very important chair in my book. However, I enjoyed the podcast so much that when I was supposed to go do something else, I was like, wait, I just got to finish it. It was very good. It'll make you laugh out loud. And it'll make you look at Star Trek in a whole new way. Exactly. <laughs> a chair way. Let's, we're just going to spend our time going over all the news for the last couple of weeks and give you our thoughts on the various things. And I guess we're going to start off with the aforementioned new Star Trek shows, because, of course, there are five Star Trek shows currently in production, and there's stuff to talk about for at least three of them, right? Yeah, well, and there's someone who's talking a lot, as he loves to do, which is uh, Mr. John Delancey, who is still <laughs> releasing cameos. He stopped saying what things for a while. What would we do without John Delancey? <laughs> <laughs> he just blurts this stuff out. I seriously can't believe how long he's been allowed to do it. I so thought after we started kind of keeping track of Mr. Delancey that CBS would shut him down because we've seen them shut people down. Right. And on very small things like you can say, oh, the title of the episode has the letter X in it. And they're like, take that out. So, which, I mean, look, it's their thing. They want to keep stuff secret. But for some reason, John Delancey's just allowed to go nuts and tell us how many episodes he's in and who he's working with and what he's doing and all the things he wants to. So let's uh, let's dig in a little. A lot of the stuff he's been saying, because yeah, he's, he's kind of saying the same things over and over again, but he's reconfirming. He's in six episodes. He has said that that's spread over two seasons. And he's you know constantly talking about doing a lot of scenes with Patrick. So I think even though he is doing scenes with other people, I think the Q stuff we're going to get for Star Trek Picard, no surprise, is going to be a lot of Picard and Q together. Right. And that's the relationship people are invested in, for sure, when it comes to Q. Yeah. I guess, you know, the question is, you know, where are these scenes taking place? Because they're, they're together, and I think rarely with other people. So, you know, is it in his weird holodeck quarters on La Serena? Or, you know, does he take him to some, that, the, the white room, you know, from Tapestry? <laughs> right. That's where John Oliver lives these days, too. <laughs> exactly but um he then met you know so our most recent article uh covering this stuff which is in the show notes he, he mentioned working with some other people he mentioned jonathan frakes which you know we're almost certain is because frakes is was directing a couple episodes of picard 
as opposed to appearing as Riker, even though that's possible. But I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah. But then in a few videos, he's mentioned that he's going to do a scene with Brent, meaning Brent Spiner. Now, we knew that Brent Spiner was coming back, I think, a few weeks ago after the um, first contact day. We mentioned that it was kind of an odd thing in the press release about Picard season two, where they buried the fact that Brent Spiner's coming back. So this is officially from Paramount Plus. Where they're like, you know, the following people are coming back and Jerry Ryan and, you know, all all the, you know, Allison Pill and Brent Spiner, you know. And they just kind of mentioned Brent Spiner in there with everyone else. And we assumed at the time that he'd be coming back as Dr. Soon, the, the new doc, the latest Dr. Soon, right, <laughs> from season one. Because uh, Akiva Goldsman said they created the character to give Brent something to play where he's not in makeup. and they knew they were going to kill data off in season one again. <laughs> so they could bring Brent back more for future seasons. So, but then in one of Delancey's videos, he didn't say he was having a scene with Brent. He said, he's having a scene with data. Right. Which, you know, of course there is a possibility that he just meant Brent Spiner. So that's possibility. Number one is he just said data because it's, how people know Brent Spiner. I mean, if you look yeah. in those cameos, everybody, even though you obviously buy a cameo for someone who loves that celebrity, the celebrities always tell you what they're from. I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. And it's like, I know my friend paid you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, you know, so that could be it. But the other thought is that with all this time travel that we know is going to be going on in this show, based on the well, teaser we, we trailer. We don't know, but we know. Yeah, based on the, the trailer that said time, 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 500 times and showed an hourglass and all this stuff, um, he could be talking about data. There's a couple ways the time travel may work in season two. There's just your standard time travel. And then there's, you know, just going back in time. And then there's alternate universe time travel, you know, where they can go back or over to different timelines. Right. So, you know, which obviously Q can do essentially anything, right? They've, they've, like, they've never shown any limit to his capabilities. I think we, we may be seeing kind of an It's a Wonderful Life element to Picard because, you know, we, I think um, we've talked about this before, whether Q's putting Picard on trial and whether he deserves his life, his new life as a robot android. Um, <laughs> so well, we could definitely be seeing standard old data because they could just go back to 20 years ago and you know or 30 years ago and there's good old data um or it could be an alternate timeline where data still exists and yeah. uh yeah I mean, it's kind of like i i don't think it's a big deal kayla's talked about how great it was that and i agree with her that season one ended with a nice closure on the character which we didn't get in nemesis a lot or a lot of people feel we didn't get a good one in nemesis um so is it bad to bring data back again as long as it doesn't interfere with that closure i don't have a problem with data you know you know especially for seeing a younger picard um or a younger time so maybe Picard's not younger, but we flash into a younger time and there's a younger data. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think I think the storytelling possibilities when you get into what could have happened 
um, are wide open and could be quite fascinating. It's just, I mean, I feel like if you think about it, the first Star Trek movie is that in a lot of ways, right? It's like, what if this thing had happened differently and how would it shape these people? You um, mean the first J.J. Abrams? Yeah, the first, sorry, uh, 2009, the first J.J. movie was like, so Kirk, what if Kirk's life was totally different and how would that have changed him and how would that have changed history, which is always a valid question. And there are a lot of characters on Picard that I would love to see. Like, I'd love to see um, Raffi, who I love, um, if things had happened differently for her. So I think it works fine with Data as well. I think there's a lot to explore, if that's what they choose to do. With you mentioning that, it makes me think, you know, and, and I'm just pulling this out of my, you know, wherever, but <laughs> why not have, you know, Q pop them over to the Kelvin timeline just to take a peek, you know, because maybe that has some re- revelatory thing for Picard. So we're going to see an alternate timeline. Why not? You know, and, and maybe there's a data in that timeline. Of course, they're there would be there are i think the bottom line is there are a lot of possibilities there so which makes data a possibility whether you know he could be right he could be wrong delancey but i think um i think it's good it can be very good storytelling as long as they're not just relying on nostalgia which if it's an alternate history kind of thing then they're not so much but we will see brent and john delancey together the question is is it q and data but uh um, so there, so it isn't just Picard and Q, because uh, I think he he also mentioned that he's going to be working with some of the other members of the cast. So we'll probably see a little Q and Seven and Q and Rafi, um, and Rios and the gang. But uh, it's going to be mostly with Picard and uh, a little bit of Brent, maybe Data. Um, cool. All all directed by Two Takes Freaks. Yeah, well, that's who you'd want. For that, or not, not all directed. Some two out of six, I guess, because right. they're do- still doing the two episode blocks. Something Delancey said was interesting, which is you know, he constantly talks about how Q is different, and he's saying he's learning more about the character, which I think is interesting. But he does say that it, it's been easy for him to get back into it. I mean, the enthusiasm because I've seen Delancey at a lot of conventions, and it, there's just something. It's hard to explain, but he talks about Star Trek now far more enthusiastically than I've seen him talk about it over the last decade. So he he's just really jazzed to be back in a way that's been surprising to me. Because sometimes at conventions over the last year, you see him talking about Star Trek, it's almost like, oh, that was old, that's a long time ago, and it's no big deal. And you know, so it's it's nice to see this spark of enthusiasm. I think it, I think it's happening to a lot of them, like the stars who were on previous shows, because there has been a, you know, whether you like the new Star Trek or not, all the new Star Treks, there's definitely been a resurgence of interest in the franchise sparked by that. And I think people who felt like that was old news and old part of their career are realizing, you know, it's not only can they do new stuff like Gates McFadden doing a podcast interviewing her Star Trek friends. Um, but they, they also just appreciate the impact of it more. And now when it's like, he's getting all this work and it's fun work working with people that he loves. And I'm sure even with COVID protocols, they're having a great time on set. So I, I could see why that enthusiasm would come back for sure. So 
let's move on to another show. Let's start talking about Strange New Worlds. And Rebecca's in a new movie with her husband, actually. Jerry O'Connell. Nice for them. Who's also a Star Trek actor now, has a voice on Lower Decks. And she's promoting this movie called Endangered Species with Jerry, promoting that while she's shooting in Toronto for Strange New Worlds. And she gave an update on production saying that they've done seven episodes or they're currently shooting seven or whenever this interview was done, which was probably like a week ago. So that's a pretty good pace because they started in February. They generally take two weeks to shoot an episode before COVID. so. They're kind of at about the same pace, it seems, even yeah, under the new protocols. She says it's going, you know, or was it Anson Mount? He said it was going smoothly recently, and obviously uh, she's backing that up. Yeah, yeah. So th- they'll probably be done in July, it looks like, because it's 10 episodes. They may finish before Discovery, which has had, you know, they had a holiday hiatus. They had, they've had like two or three hiatuses while they're shooting a longer season. So even though Discovery started before they did, I wouldn't be surprised if Discovery ends after they did in like um, August. Right. Although it's still going to air sooner. Right. Well, because, I mean, you know, know, as we've talked about with Discovery, because of the new AR wall, they were doing pre-production or post-production before pre-production. So they they had a lot of the effects done and they can start cranking out episodes. I mean, there's no way they could drop 13 episodes this year, but they could definitely start. They could yeah. drop one before December 31st, yeah, which yeah, I think exactly. is the main goal. I mean, it was funny when we spoke to Mary and Noah on our podcast, um, they were like, what, this year? That that sounded outrageous to them. <laughs> but besides that, yeah, you know, she tries not to say any spoilers, and she really didn't. She's no John Delancey. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And uh, but you know, she, 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 you know, kind of reconfirmed what we've been hearing about the connection to the original series, saying it's very much like the original series with standalone episodes. It's she describes it as lighter, but I think she means lighter than Discovery, because yeah. lighter than than when she and Anson and um, Ethan we're doing these characters before i think this is different than that than what we saw in season two of discovery you know and she talks about they're visiting planets and they're visiting colonies whatever yay so it sounds very tos that's what we've been waiting for like remember early on in discovery we're like could you just go somewhere and and like visit people like we just really wanted to see more worlds yeah and we know they've been doing a lot of location shooting in around toronto so um, which has its own special uh, challenges during COVID as well. So it is impressive that they are getting this done that way um, so quickly because this show has an extra element. You know, even though they obviously have done location shooting with Discovery, I think the show is going to have more location shooting just because of the nature of the show. Yeah, Although the, the AR wall is going to be used for this show as well. So some of the strange new worlds will be virtual strange new worlds <laughs> um, but if, you, if you're a fan of the mandalorian you may you'll never know the difference really because you know when i first learned that they shot some of those scenes at the air wall i couldn't believe it that they didn't actually go to 
you know, these various planets sometimes. <laughs> it's impressive technology, that's for sure. Yeah. The other thing she talked about that I thought was interesting was talking about Spock and how this is really the first time we're going to see him, I mean, except for the little bit he was on Discovery, as a junior officer. And so she's his boss and she's ordering him around and we're used to seeing Spock as a senior officer. So this should create some interesting dynamics, I think. And this now kind of gives us more of a sense of the relationship between number one and Pike to Spock is this mentor, mentee, or parental even relationship, mm-hmm. um, which definitely will be something new. I mean, obviously we saw the, we saw this mostly in Q and a, which is the, the great um, short treks episode she did with Ethan where they're in the stuck in the turbo lift. Yeah. It's a fun one. Um, and I guess we're going to get more of that kind of thing on the show. So it's, you know, so I'm, I, you know, she described it as fun with Spock. So I almost feel like, I mean, I hope they don't make too much of a gag out of it because it's, you know, Spock, especially a younger Spock who's naive and or like overly logical, perhaps it, because think of season one data stuff, i was just right? gonna say tng season one data oh <laughs> everybody's always laughing let's teach him what a joke is <laughs> and it's uh, right and, and season one doctor on voyager you know where these kind of naive overly you know logical characters can be made fun of you know and wharf there's a there's elements of that with early wharf as well these fish out of water characters so but we want the show to be lighter and, you know, but it'll be interesting to see how much humor they draw out of Spock. I mean, the original series drew a lot of humor out of it. I mean, the McCoy Spock dynamic was fantastic and there was definitely humor there. Um, and I guess we could definitely see, I don't see Pike doing it, but I could, it, it, it Rebecca has a great sense of humor and, and I can see maybe they're going to lean into that with number one, which is interesting because number one is the proto Spock. She's the yeah. kind of um, overly, you know, a mind like a computer type person. And well, which is why she has that conversation with him in that short trek, like sort of suggestions for how to handle the smiling and the emotion and the image that you give off. So we we still don't know much about number one, Una. We don't we don't know a lot about the character. And Rebecca said how the show's you know really going to lean into the backstory, and we're going to learn more about it. She's said in the past that there's this supposedly some kind of just mind blowing thing about her backstory. And in this new interview, she talks about how there's all these Easter eggs to the original series. So. That made me a little nervous. I'm going to be honest. Right. I mean, we don't Easter, you know, because we had this whole that whole debate with Mike McMahon, and Lower Decks is a reference festival for sure. It's also a cartoon. It's also a comedy. So, <laughs> I want this show to feel like the original series, but not reference the original series. So I don't, you know, I mean, once in a while for sure, but. We've talked about this before. We, you know, we shouldn't be seeing the Gorn and Tribbles. And, you know, that was the original series. We need to see their Gorn and their Tribbles. Mm-hmm. We'll probably see a Klingon here, you know, and maybe you'll they'll mention the Farragut, you know, just, you know. But I hope that Akiva 
can control himself is all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't have a lot of faith that that's going to happen because and you think it's just going to be he's just going to be name dropping. And I think they're going to I think they're going to put things in that really shouldn't be there. You know, like, I'm sorry, but Discovery, I still, I, the, I think Gorn's skeleton didn't make sense. I think Tribbles didn't make sense. And some of them were like, well, uh, Lorca could have brought it from the mirror universe. And I'm like, I don't think in that moment that he was switched, he had time to pack things. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't make any sense. He wasn't bringing stuff. That's usually like a thing that happens and you're there with whatever you had with you. And I don't think he was clutching Tribbles and Gorn skeletons. But, um. Yeah, I don't want them to. I don't, that's always a mistake to me. And it also, I think, is a disservice to the writers who could be coming up with new and wonderful things. Like, keep the tone of the original series, which is you go somewhere, you meet people that challenge the way that you think about something, or you challenge you challenge them, or they challenge you. And it's allegorical, and it's thought-provoking. That's the way it should be. Which it was. Look at these original series episodes. You look back at them and you go, okay, like everyone remembers the goofy things. But you look at the stories and you go, those are huge, important concepts and very complex. And a lot of times at the end of the episode, there isn't a that was right or that was wrong. It's yeah, wow, that is a complicated question. And let's hope we did the right thing. And that's the way Anson Mount has described the new show. Yeah, He talks about it, how it's going to get into these big ideas and that being episodic allows it to do that, which is the right way to do the show. And, you know, he's a real fan. So and so she she's a huge original series fan also. Yeah. So anyway, let's not you know. So she mentioned Easter eggs. You know, let's hope that they are like Easter eggs and that they are hidden, hidden. in the br- hidden in the brush. <laughs> And not out there with neon signs all over the place. Exactly. Um, um, Anything else on Strange New Worlds? No, I think that's it. I think we're ready to move on to Lower Decks. Which is the show all about Easter eggs. Yeah, that's fine. Throw them in all you want. Yeah. So in our last podcast, or was it two podcasts ago? I feel like it was a year ago. Yeah, so we did the interview (laughs) with Mike McMahon and we talked about we ran those clips and talked about it. So in addition to him doing an interview with us, because this is all to promote the new Lower Decks um, Blu-ray, he did some interviews with some other outlets. And How um, dare he? How dare he? I know. Jeez. (laughs) We read them all, so you don't have to. Um, But we have some some highlights on uh, that we pulled out. We curated on Trek movie, which is in the show notes. And there's a few interesting things he said about what's going on in the future. One is, which makes sense is that season two sounds like it'll just, there's going to be no time gap. It's just going to go just jump right into where things left off. After yeah. Season one. I mean, the shows, you know, he's emphasized it's episodic, but he said, there's a, this, he kind of rattled off all these issues that the season finale left us with you know the uh, obviously boimler is going to be on the titan right and we have to deal with that but there's other things like rutherford's memory and all that and he said he's you know he promises we've got bills to pay i think is a phrase he's used or season two will not ignore all this stuff and we'll answer these questions i think it's episodic the way voyager's episodic so voyager was ep- 
you know, was still had character change and growth. People moved into new positions. People, you know, Kess developed more abilities. Seven of nine became more human. People changed. And so right. I think it's that same kind of thing. But he's also implied that the Packlids will be back. So that'll kind of pick up on a storyline. Right. An important storyline from season one. I don't know if the, I guess he hasn't said this, but I wonder if the, the Packlids will kind of be this show's Borg, you know, or this show's Klingons, you know, they're, they're kind of their big bad of the, sh- of the series, which totally kind of makes sense yeah, that it's... if you're going to pick one race, pick the, weirdest dumbest race yeah turned them into a threat which, which they, they did i was gonna say not only were they i mean they were a threat on next generation too in their own way so you know they can be a threat you can be dumb and be a threat although they're not so dumb after all yeah. <laughs> he also gave an update on where things are basically they are currently writing season three they're done recording season two things just are continue to move on i we've mentioned in a previous podcast but if you missed that the show was uh, given a third season that was announced in april and i they didn't say there's going to be a fourth but i i'd, I'd be shocked if there weren't yeah so season. would i so would i it has to be worth it for them to do yeah and he's kind of talked about how you know, he's already thinking about how the show is going to progress over the years. He feels like they've proved themselves too that they can't, that they're telling their own story. And he feels, you know, they're not, it's not just jokes and references. And he's made it clear that they, that he's fallen in love with all of the characters and that he feels like they are legitimate. They have a real story to tell. They've proved themselves, which I agree with. Now, one interesting element to that. So, you know, he's confirmed that there's going to be what they call legacy cameos in season two and we saw some major ones in season one obviously and we've Q. heard rumors of some of the people who are showing up in season two yeah like random tng guest stars right and that's what he said is said it will be he, he the unexpected so you know so basically characters that were one or two offs um you know, he didn't say this, but, you know, Mott the Barber would be an example, you know, right. see, that kind of thing. You know, if someone who recognizable but isn't a major character like Q or Riker or Data or Worf, even though, you know, I suspect that we'll eventually see Worf show up on the show because I think he loves Worf and Michael Dorn. Um, so if they could finally come together someday. But, I, yeah, I like that idea of like, um, oh, you know. There's someone we recognize, but isn't such a big deal, but you can find some humor on. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's funny. Someone asked if he would do something from like take someone from the episode Lower Decks of TNG. And uh, I think he said that's a tough one because it has this such a sad, tragic ending. Yeah, I mean, there is a weird irony of (laughs) that Lower Decks both inspired inspired him and yet it is one of the more tragic sad there's there's a tragedy there that isn't great for comedy sadly um here's a funny thing that he talked about though in one of the interviews he gave he talked about his favorite episode from each show Uh uh-huh i thought he had some some good choices and some super weird choices that made me worry a little bit (laughs) Like what did you find weird? Well, I found weird that let's say the episode he called out from the original series was a private little war. 
which I don't think is a great episode and has a super strange ending. It conclusion. does. So I thought that was weird. And then, um, and then, uh, Voyager. So he he mentioned living. He loves the doctor. So he mentioned living witness, which I do love that episode. But then he mentioned message in a bottle, which I just, that's the Andy Dick one. And yeah. I've argued with Jared of the shuttle pod about this because he thinks this is such a great episode. And I think it's like a nothing throwaway episode. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a obvious celebrity cameo stunt casting episode. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny, but it's, you know, it's definitely not great yeah it's just that mike Mike likes the funnier episodes he likes the weird b stories and i guess although there's not really a weird b story in a private little war but maybe he just likes the mugatu you know he does he actually mentioned that specifically that he likes it um here's the interesting thing he says who's gonna show up in season two i should hope so we see a mugatu or mugato depending on how you prefer to pronounce it in the trailer right um, here's the thing he said about the animated series that was interesting. He said, if I tell you my favorite one of that, it'll give away something we do second season. I'm going to have to take a pass on that because we're mining that a lot. We we saw a minor reference. Well, there, there's, I guess there's two references. We saw the, um, the picture of Kirk and Spock from, right. <laughs> uh, the animated series in the episode with, um, Landrew. Uh, from season one. So we had uh, the Arex species character from season one, even though it wasn't Arex. And Cation. Uh, we have a Cation. Yeah, obviously. Although the style, I mean, that's the thing you kind of forget because the style um, with the doctor is so different, <laughs> right? Than Mares. Mares is this like overly sexualized and has this long tail and, and purrs we- a lot. Right. And we never see Dr. Tana. Does, does Dr. Tana have a tail? Like, you know, what do oh, we I would assume Dr. Tana has a tail. But Dr. Tana is like this weird combination of McCoy and Pulaski. Right. <laughs> In a cat and, body. And a, ca- and a cat. Yeah. <laughs> right. And lots of, lots of cat behaviors. Um, and a crush on Shax, dear departed Shax. <laughs> There's one cameo that. Mike still, he, it's obvious he wants to bring Wesley into the show, but in these interviews, he still can't crack that, how to do it. And when I interviewed him before season one, he said the same thing. So he, it, this is now, he's now finished two seasons and he, and he's into the third and he still hasn't figured out how to bring Wesley in. Cause you know, we know that Will would do it. Will told me he would do it yes. when I interviewed him. And it's all about this thing about how Will's become or with the Traveler, even though we saw him in Nemesis. And I don't know. Just that doesn't. It doesn't strike me as that challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't get the big. I mean, he's he's so concerned about breaking. But this shows you how much he loves Star Trek. He doesn't want to break canon, and I guess he doesn't want to waste time explaining why Wesley's there. I think that they'll eventually figure this out. Yeah. I think if he's struggling so much with it, it means that by the time he comes up with something, it'll probably be pretty great because you and I aren't seeing that as a big challenge and he does. So he'll come up with something fascinating. Speaking of lower decks, in addition to Mike doing some interviews, 
Uh, Jack Quaid did a couple as well promoting the show. Jack plays Boimler, of course. And he um, confirmed some of this stuff. You know, obviously Boim was on the Titan in season two, but it's pretty clear. You know, he talks about how Boimler feels bad about being on the Titan and just kind of leaving the Cerritos. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but interestingly, he's talked about how Boimler kind of uh, is dealing with the, you know, be careful what you wish for elements, which we saw a little bit of that in the trailer. But the the question is, I mean, obviously he's coming back, right? So I guess the big question is, is it by his own volition, right? Or does he get kicked off the Titan? Right. It sounds like he's like not ready for the Titan. He's talked about it. he's kind of out of his element on the Titan. Um well, it's also hard. I would assume it will be hard for him to shine much easier to shine on the Cerritos where things don't usually go so well. I mean, but do you think he's going to get kicked off the Titan or is going to ask for a transfer back? I think he's going to ask for a transfer back. Maybe, or he'll be offered some bad choice where that's the best choice. Who knows? But he's a lieutenant, so is he going to go back to being, you know, that's the other big question is, is he going to do something that gets him demoted and right. off the ship? So he's essentially back where he was before as an ensign. Although there's there can be interesting dynamics of him and Mariner if he outranks her. Yes. Because he's, you know, uh, Jack also talked about how he doesn't feel, even though Boimler's obsessed with becoming a captain, he doesn't feel that Boimler's captain material. He said Boimler's more the, that Mariner's the better captain material. He's oh, yeah. The, he's the sidekick. He's the number one character, you know. Of- when it's crunch time, you don't want Boimler in charge. No. That's probably the worst time, actually, for him. He's better yeah. when he's kind of got time to think about things, but uh, he's very bad under pressure, yeah. for sure. Yes. He's got um, a procedure, though. He enjoys some good procedures. Right. Um, another thing he talked about, and this will be interesting to see if we can sense this, is that they're not recording, that for season one, they were recording these people together. Right, especially him and Tawny, because there's a lot of a lot of stuff going down between these two, including a lot of improvisation stuff. Mm-hmm. And for season two, they're not doing that, although they are using Zoom. You because know, animated series very often everybody just records on their own, even if they're you know before the pandemic. But for some shows, and I think it is important that there is a there's something about their chemistry and we know that there's improv going on on the show and they're, you know, they're both very talented. Yeah. I mean, he did say that they, at least they've built up that relationship now. So that makes it easier, but I'm hoping that when it comes time to do another season that they can get back into the same room again. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know when they're recording season three, but um, I think the, you know, the way rules are in LA, I think he could do that now. Yeah, I think so. Well, he's in, I think he's still in Toronto shooting the boys. Which, by the way, if people aren't watching that, they should. It's great. Yeah, such a good show. Very different. Very different. Uh, Wonderful show. <laughs> and, of course, lots of Carl Urban. Swearing. Yes. Oh, my God. I didn't have a crush on Carl, Ur- Carl Urban until the boys. And he's totally not my kind of character that I would have a crush on. And now I have just a massive crush on him, which makes no sense at all. 
but he's just so good in that show. Speaking of Carler, when there's a nice little story that he says that he met, Jack Quaid met Jonathan Frakes at a Toronto Comic-Con, he said when he was shooting season two of The Boys, because um, Carl Urban introduced him. And we've heard, like Marina Sirtis has talked about how Carl Urban is like an honorary member of the TNG gang. Like they love him. Which is big for her because she makes fun of, she calls Deep Space Nine Deep Snore Nine. I mean, she's a bit of a... <laughs> I mean, she definitely can be a bit catty when talking about some of the other shows. So if you're in the circle of trust, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So that's great that Urban has met the Marina standard and is kind of, hey, you know, I love this idea of Carl and Frakes hanging out together. Yes, and then Um, bringing in Jack Quaid. It's like this great... It's such a, he's like the guy that can bridge all the gaps. Like he brings everybody together. It's so nice. And of course, everyone who meets Frakes just falls in love with them. What's funny is he talks about meeting Frakes at the convention, right? So this is while they're recording season one. And Frakes in great style spoils the end of season one. So Jack oh, yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't know the end of season one, right? And Frakes meets him and like tells him, oh yeah, you're going to end up on the, you know, with me on the ship. And it's like, what? So <laughs> that, That's another trait of Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> yeah. So he's not only is he spoiling things for the audience, he's spoiling things for other actors. You know, he's just, he's just can't help himself. So, well, he's ex- it's, it's enthusiasm. So who can hate that? Who can get mad about enthusiasm? It's something actually Mike McMahon said in some of his interviews, too, was that he ended up again in Toronto. All this stuff goes on in my hometown decades after I've moved away. But he and Frakes were staying at the same hotel when he was doing his short treks, Mike McMahon's short treks. And they ended up having dinner. And Mike McMahon was telling him all about what he's planning for Lower Decks. And Frakes was like, oh, I'd love to be involved. And that's kind of how that whole thing came together. Speaking of conventions... Another thing Jack said, I think he joked about this on Twitter, but in an interview, he said he's absolutely serious. He is going to cosplay at the next Star Trek convention. Meaning Chicago, meaning the Chicago one is what he's talking about. Right, which is next April. April? I think April. Yeah. And he's going purple hair. I don't know if he's going to dye his hair or or have a wig. Someone's going to have to make a uniform for him. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, there are so many people out there already making uniforms from Lower Deck. So that could be that can be done. You know, we have that to look forward to. You know, he <laughs> said that he, they didn't design the character around him, that the Boimler looked like Boimler, even though he, he can definitely pull off playing Boimler. Oh, yeah. Um, in a live action uh, that the character design was there before he was cast. But all four of those main characters could all easily do live action versions of their cartoons. Yeah, belts. Mike has joked about that. I mean, I we've talked about. I still think it would be h- hilarious if there was like a. I mean, it could be like ten seconds long, but there was like some weird alternate universe where <laughs> there was suddenly live action, like Homer know. Simpson. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've seen other shows do stuff like this before. But uh, I think it would be it would be fun and hilarious. And I almost expect it to happen at some point, really. I think, yeah, it it would be a funny thing to do. And I do think of Homer freaking out when he was made real. Oh, he's walking around. Right. But he was still animated. Yeah. He He was 3D animated, but the world was real. Yep. That's true. That's a that's an obscure reference. I know. Uh, Reminiscing. (laughs) 
um i mean this was never a question for me but it was brought up to, you know is in one of these interviews of are we ever going to see mariner and boimler hook up i never saw any hints of that on the show right but of course people wonder right and you know but he he says that he sees them as just friends even though there's a rom-com element to the their characters that there is no rom really it's all just friendship which is good i have since i was a kid have always liked shows where um a man and a straight man and a straight woman could be best friends yeah i think that's a lovely dynamic and it's fun and there's and they've shown that that's who they are like even when he had a girlfriend and she was freaked out about it it wasn't that she wanted to be his girlfriend it wasn't jealousy it was more she was being protective of him because she was thinking that he was being exploited or jealousy maybe of like the time and the energy but not in a romantic way we got any other lower deck stuff no i think we've covered it okay there's no prodigy news for the last couple weeks it's it still exists it's still coming this year And we know nothing more about it. There's no real discovery news. The only real thing is our last podcast, we talked about how the new novel Wonderlands was just released. And we want to point people to the full review of that on the Trek movie site from Danish House, who did a great job with the review. Um, A lot of people are saying they, they aren't really into the show, but they want to read the novel now because of the review and of course that's because of una mccormick who wrote the book because it is a really good book i just started it myself um i'm only one chapter in it's about michael's gap year i'm really enjoying it and we're learning more about just what how weird it was for michael being on her own for a year and so she isn't all her and um book that's the thing that we're, you know, the big thing we're learning from this is that Michael's year on her own. And even though this isn't technically canon, I really don't see, because they do work closely with the showrunners and stuff. So they, I'm sure this stuff was worked out with them, is that Michael's time was not a year with book together. She was doing her own stuff. And in fact, you know, it took her a while to even leave the station with the lonely um, guy on it, which we <laughs> learn is 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 there's actually more people on the station. That was that was a big thing for me. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Uh, but he wasn't alone. There were more people there. Oh, that's good. He seemed lonely. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of alone in his little his job. He's like the only Starfleet guy. And, he, you know, the, the, but they're. There are other people who live there. There's this kind of cool retired courier character and um, some other people. Anyway, I, I I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, his review made me want to read it too. I'm going to pick it up. I was looking at some of the comments that people were leaving and they were saying, oh, why didn't they put this in the show? It's just their shortcut so they don't have to put it in the show. And I disagree with that. I actually, as much as I would love to see it, but I don't think it's essential to the show. And I think this is a fun way to explore it. Well, not only that, I mean, one of the hits on the show is it's so much Michael, Michael, Michael. And it's like how, you know, because everything in this book is about Michael, right? And and book and Sahil. But, you know, there's no Saru. There's no Tilly. 
those people are still lost in time and space at this point and will be for the whole book, I assume. Um, so spending more Michael, Michael, Michael time on the show, I think they did a whole episode. How much more can you do? I mean, maybe we'll see reference to it. I wouldn't mind seeing some references. Some maybe flashbacks somebody's... would be great. Like they yeah. could easily work in a flashback, which I would very much enjoy. Right. And we, yeah, we saw a little bit of that in season one. There was the kind of montage of her going, you know, while she was searching for clues to the burn and stuff like that. Right. But that felt more like, okay, we need to give some information. That was more exposition than anything else. But I would love to see a full, a full flashback. It's like whenever you do one of these books, like, oh, well, they should have done that on the show. It's like, well, you know, you got to leave something for the books. Right. Yeah. No, and also just discovery. The, you just say Star Trek Discovery and people just start telling you things they think are wrong. <laughs> although although in some cases, I mean, we did, we, I have said, so I will cop to how when you look at Picard, because there, there's these Picard tie-ins, right? And they're going to do a whole Rios book that's coming up later this year. But the Seven backstory, I think, was suggested didn't didn't you know we did the interview with James um, Swallow? Yeah, didn't he say that they suggested that, and then it was decided that that was going to be they'd rather cover that on the show. Yeah, it is a valid point that there's some stories that you definitely do want to do, but I and I definitely want to see everyone wants to see Seven's backstory between Voyager and Picard. So uh, another piece of merchandising news. Um, Star Trek Online, which still exists. Uh, it's been out there for 11 years. It's an MMO on PC and consoles. Um, they release, they put out a new release every few months. Um, and last week they did the fourth release in the last year of their Year of Klingon, which is this big Civil War thing. It's called House United. And they brought back a lot of voice actors uh, that they've been using. So Mary Chifo's back is Laurel. Uh, Robert O'Reilly is back. J.G. Uh, Hertzler's back. And J.G. Hertzler's Rick playing Martok, right? Like Robert yeah. O'Reilly's playing a different character from who he was on TNG. But Hertzler is Martok. And then they have another fun one, which is they have Rekha Sharma doing another Klingon voice. This is all Klingons all the time. Yeah. You know. If you want more backstory on the Klingons, uh, you should check out Star Trek Online. And we are doing a special giveaway on the site with a lot of people, like people coming out of the woodwork to sign on to our Klingon giveaway. We're giving away a tier six ship, which is the best kind of ship you can get in Star Trek Online, a Klingon ship. And we have three of those and... We're giving away these little mini Batleth tools. So so we're not just giving away codes to stuff in the game, but uh, these actual physical objects that will be sent to you. Yeah, they look actually, cool. I actually have one. It's yeah, I was, it's cool. I was like, oh, I want one of those, but I can't enter the contest or whatever. <laughs> it's cheating. And some other prizes. And we're going to, you know, we have three of the kind of grand prizes, but we're going to give away a few dozen um, uh, little packages of Klingon unlocks for the game. So if you play the game, come to the site. All you need to do is type a comment in Klingon. And uh, what's funny is like, so we, those are the rules and a lot of people just type a little short thing in Klingon, like Kapla. Kapla, yeah. Some people like have a lot to say in Klingon, which is nice. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> That's worth checking out. I'll have to go do that. <laughs> That's it for kind of official Star Trek news of the last week or so. I'm going to switch to talking about something that some people think is dry. I've ruined it for you. It's because I'm the one who says it's dry. So I apologize. I don't think everybody else thinks it's dry. I think it's, you know, just my thing. It's something that I've talked about a lot. And and, uh, Brian on ShuttlePod, and in fact, we did an episode about this as well, which is the kind of business side of Viacom CBS and Paramount Plus and the streaming wars and all that kind of jazz. Obviously, a couple of years ago, Viacom and CBS recombined. So Paramount Plus wouldn't exist, obviously, as Paramount Plus if it weren't for that new entity. And now when you look at Paramount Plus, there's just a ton of stuff. There's all the SpongeBob stuff and there's Paramount movies. And, you know, there's a there's a ton of content in there. But some people in the media are looking at all the streaming companies. And it it's like there's just never enough content is this new thing happening. So in the last week, Amazon bought MGM Studios. It was one of the kind of smaller Hollywood studios that was still independent, which brings over hundreds of movies and thousands of television episodes. And they're going to be adding all of that content to Amazon Prime to make Amazon Prime even bigger. And uh, that puts them in control of a lot of franchises, including if you're a Stargate fan, which I am a kind of, you know, that's my third favorite star franchise. Um, <laughs> this is the James Bond franchise and all sorts of other franchises. So that's a big media move. But the even bigger media move is AT&T is, com- is taking Warner Media and Discovery. They're being combined. Isn't it being called like Warner Media Discovery or something? Warner Brother? It's called Warner Brothers Discovery. There you go. <laughs> Clever. And so that's this new giant media company. So Discovery Plus, which has been really popular when it recently launched, um, you're doing a show for Discovery Plus, right? Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> and HBO Max, which is its own big thing, I guess, are going to be combined into HBO Discovery Supermax, whatever they're going to call it. <laughs> That's a good name. I highly recommend it. <laughs> when the streaming wars are going, everyone kind of acknowledges Netflix is Netflix and nothing's stopping Netflix. It's it's ubiquitous. It's Everyone has Netflix, right? It's just, it's number one market share around the world. Um, Disney because they're Disney and because they bought Fox because even Disney to play this game made it's some of its own acquisitions. They bought Fox, they bought all the kind of remaining interests, controlling interests in Hulu. So you have to look at Disney as kind of a combined thing with Hulu, right? Mm -hmm. As one thing. And they're even sold as a bundle and overseas, the Hulu content, including shows like Orville are actually part of Disney Plus. So that's doing a good job going up against Netflix. Amazon is is kind of in that top tier as well. But yet they feel like they need more content. You know, HBO Max was in the second tier um and they're trying to get into that top tier. And with this discovery deal, which probably will move them into that zone. And people are looking at the other players like uh, Peacock and uh, Paramount Plus and others wondering what's going to happen. And 
a lot of industry analysts are even suggesting that Comcast may buy Viacom CBS. What people want is they want the libraries and they want to own the IP. Comcast may want to get to all of that stuff that's owned. And we could see a combination of Peacock and Paramount Plus. Um, that's one option being looked at. Like I, now, Viacom CBS are saying, we're fine. We're not going to buy anything. But they're being pushed by the industry and by Wall Street to look into this kind of stuff. Another thing being suggested, which I've always thought is what Sherry Redstone is, the controller of Viacom CBS, her kind of secret master plan is, is to start buying the other little ones. Because they bought the Miramax portfolio, I believe, a few years ago after the whole Weinstein situation. is for them to look to Lionsgate and other like like almost third tier Hollywood studios and start scooping them up. So you could bring take all the Lionsgate content and bring that into the Viacom Paramount family, perhaps. And there's other examples. A, a, a big question mark is Sony. Sony doesn't have their own streaming service. They're the only major studio that doesn't. Was Crackle? I thought Crackle was theirs. No, Crackles. It, it Crackle was. Then it wasn't. Then it was. Then it was. It's not. There, okay. they are associated. There's a lot of Crackle content um, from Sony, but currently Sony does not own Crackle. Oh, okay. They're the only one not doing it. There's also AMC networks as well. So there, there's all there's ways to create a top tier company by gathering all the kind of companies that aren't in the top tier and combining them. So I think that there's going to be some more corporate moves for Viacom CBS and that that's going to impact Paramount Plus. And the whole reason we're talking about this is there's five Star Trek shows currently in production and that's because Paramount Plus exists. And that's because Viacom CBS is basically making as all the media companies are streaming their focus. So going back to CBS All Access, Discovery was their flagship. Star Trek was their anchor. And, you know, they kind of noticed, you know, when Star Trek was on, they would get subscribers. When Star Trek was off, they would lose subscribers. Um, and companies now, they want to stop all that churn. And the, one of the reasons why there's they're shooting for this constant flow of Star Trek shows is to to head that off at the pass yeah but that's not enough and you know because it's you know it's obviously not just star trek i mean they've got the nfl and they've got so much stuff going on now so a big question is if if paramount plus becomes even bigger will that change how important star trek is to the even larger streaming entity you know the, the question is we don't know you know if they'll still want to have four new seasons of Star Trek every year, which is kind of the current plan for Paramount Plus of Star Trek, if it gets even bigger, except that that's kind of the whole point of these massive scale things. I mean, when you look at HBO Max, you know, they're planning on multiple Game of Thrones spinoffs in the future, not just one. Right. So will Star Trek be a key franchise for let's call super paramount plus this is we're talking 2022 2023 let's assume there's a bigger larger paramount plus after various acquisitions and or mergers which i think are going to happen is is what impact will this have now some people are like oh my god you know should we worry about this now no 
This has no impact on Strange New Worlds. No one's going to, you know, if Comcast bought Viacom CBS tomorrow. They're not walking onto the set and saying, shut it down. Shut down. <laughs> what is the Strange New Worlds? <laughs> you know, the, the reason they're buying it is in part because there's more stuff coming. Right. You know, and all of the, and because of that IP. I guess the question is, how will this new entity look at the next wave of Star Trek? And will they want to just keep the flow going for a year? Will they want to tone it down or ramp it up? You know, and, and this would also have an impact on the film franchise as well. Obviously, as being part of a bigger entity would mean Paramount Pictures was part of a larger film studio entity. Like if Comcast bought, you'd be combining NBC Universal with uh, Paramount Pictures. Anyway, expect more changes to come. There's also an internal development within Viacom CBS on the executive side. You may not recognize the name Julie McNamara, but she's been a very important part of all of this. From the beginning, she was there with Les Moonves and Alex Kurtzman bringing Star Trek Discovery, which wasn't even called Star Trek Discovery, to all access. She is uh, the person who's given the green light to all of these shows that Alex Kurtzman has been producing. So all the five shows she's been at CBS all access now, parent plus as the head of programming. And last week she left FICOM CBS. Um, and part of the reason it's been reported in the trades that she left was what, what's described as a chaotic uh, green light process and that it's still kind of unclear how the new head of streaming, Tom Ryan, who was brought in from the Viacom side, so he's not a CBS veteran. He's not even a Viacom veteran. Viacom bought his company, Pluto. He's now in charge of all streaming. And so even though he's said positive, he's said positive things about Star Trek in the statement as Julie exited Viacom CBS Star Trek Discovery was mentioned as you know how she brought that show to the service and that it's still one of their top performing shows so there's a sign that Star Trek is still important to Paramount Plus but it's unclear what how this change in management may impact all of these Star Trek shows so it's just kind of a, a you know a new element that we should be aware that there'll be new management and with new management can come a new attitude and a new point of view. The new person could be just as, or even a stronger supporter of Star Trek or may have a different point of view and may want more SpongeBob and more, you know, and want to divert more money to children's programming. We don't know. So uh, don't panic, but just be aware that (laughs) I'm panicking. I'm panicking. And so we just like to keep our eye on these things and that this is a very, dynamic changing marketplace this whole streaming wars thing and uh you know th- th- there wouldn't be such a renaissance of star trek on television if it weren't for streaming really i mean there you know there might be a star trek show on some cps owned station somewhere now but there wouldn't be five that's yeah. for sure yep w- when you read the stuff do you are you worried or are you just don't even know what it even means or what I'm somewhere I mean, in between. You're, you're an industry professional. That's the thing. You know, you, I am, but I'm on the content side versus the business side. So that's my, you know, and that's always been my interest. And I, you know, to my 
father's dismay whenever business talks come up. I start dozing off. So, and <laughs> which is why I'm not rich. However, um, no, I mean, to me, all this stuff is something to keep an eye on. It's really the big takeaway for me is how important is Star Trek going to be to whatever this company's going to become. And a lot of that is determined by the success of the shows that are coming out now. Well, we, what we know is that its importance could be shifting. And so some of that will play out in how well the shows do and how much they bring in and how much attention they get. Um, but yes, there might be a shift in that Star Trek has been a big priority of, uh, it was of CBS All Access, obviously, and Paramount Plus. But we will have to see as the company gets bigger and the shows unfold, roll out, really. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's to me, it's, it's far in the future. There are a lot of things that we have to wait and see. I'm very patient with these things to see how, how, how it works out for them. So we'll, we'll have to, you know, like let's in a, in a year, let's look at everything again, look back, see where we are, because we'll, we will have had a lot more shows. I mean, 2022 will be the first year where there's, I mean, I don't want to call it year round, but I expect we will see a new Star Trek something every quarter, which is, they've kind of been saying was their goal to just have something new with Star Trek recently enough so that people don't leave Paramount Plus. Yeah, from a long time ago, they always said their goal was year-round Star Trek. I mean, they talked about this years ago before all these other shows were even going. And it's interesting because, like, if you look at the 90s and you go, well, there was always a Star Trek show, you know, they would start the next one with a little bit left of the one before or sometimes more left, depending on how it was. But those shows still all took place in the same universe. I mean, Enterprise was a prequel, but it's still all in sort of the same the same bubble in a way. Um, and these shows are all pretty different except for, right. I mean, strange new worlds and discovery are obviously tied together and yet not in their own way. Um, but they're all pretty different. So what they're trying to do, the question is, which is the better strategy? Do you want to like, Oh, here's what people like. Let's make tons of that. Or let's make all these different kinds so that there's always something that somebody likes. And with Star Trek fans, you know, we're going to at least watch everything. I mean, most, I know a few who are old cranks who say, I, I don't get to watch it. Um, a friend of mine here in town is a total Star Trek crank. Um, it's not Kirk. I don't care. Okay. Picard's fine. Um, but, <laughs> but the question is, will like, is it too broad this appeal? Or not. And that's all the stuff they're going to have to work out. And then the business side of how big a piece of it is, how big of a piece of the company is Star Trek. And that changes when the company changes. Oh, I think Prodigy is going to be a big test for the franchise because, as we've talked about before, apparently people inside are looking at that as an opportunity to broaden the appeal. So... That's the state of the business, and we'll be keeping an eye on things as things go forward. And Tony will explain it to me when I'm like, I don't know why I'm supposed to care. And then he'll tell me why. Yes. And then I'll know. I'm so bad with that stuff. I'm just content, content, content. That's my thing. Okay, so one last bit of Paramount Plus news. This week it was the release of the documentary called Woman in Motion, which 
we've spoken about before. It was released in theaters in February and then on video on demand. This is the documentary about Nichelle Nichols and working with NASA. Yeah, recruiting women and people of color to NASA when they were really hardly any. And it's a great documentary. It's really, the subject matter is fantastic. And it's just very, very well done as well. And so we were very happy that Paramount Plus bought the streaming rights for this because it kind of shows that they're not really big on or haven't been big on documentaries, originals. So they're now getting into that and we're hoping that there's going to be more. So I had a nice chat with Todd Thompson, who's the director of the Nichelle Nichols documentary and that interviews up on the site. What's interesting is he's not, he wasn't like a huge Star Trek fan. He was a Star Wars fan, but then he heard the story, Nichelle's story, and he just became captivated with it. And he's been working on this for years. It started in 2014, really. And he talks, takes us through the whole process. So you want to check that out. One of the things I was curious about is we know that Nichelle's had some health issues in recent years, obviously. And this documentary, they started working on it in the same year she had a stroke, 2015. But he was saying that that really wasn't an issue at all for them. Um, yeah. And that she, she was really sharp. I I thought, because one of the great things that they do in this documentary is they, they've you see Nichelle as she is in her eighties, but then they cut back to stuff from when she was much younger interviews from, from the 1980s in, or um, and all around in time. And they, they had, they, you could see her tell the same story, but they cut back and forth to her at, at different ages in her life. He's, he said that they, they did this more in post-production after they were finding these great things, just, to just add flavor to it and to show the consistency of her stories. And I think it's done really well. Yeah. He said he gave his editor credit for that. And I love that part of the interview when I read it, because I just think that is part of what made it work really well was that, you know, she understood what a big deal it was at the time, obviously. And so when you have her in different periods and she has these different perspectives, depending on what time it is, but she's still telling the story of what happened. Uh, I found that particularly engaging and a great way to bring people into the story. And he had, you know, a lot of great stuff to say about what it was like working with her and how easy it was to get people to do interviews because they want to talk about her and their experience with their celebrities, politicians. I mean, there's some big people in there. There's the, you know, multiple NASA administrators, including the current, the brand new NASA administrator, um, Bill Nelson. There's something about Star Trek and NASA, and that's what this whole documentary is about. And when you look at NASA over the years, there's very often been connections to Star Trek, and they've involved Shatner and others with things that they've done, you know, talking to the astronauts in space or narrating things, much more than any other franchise. And there's, there is a strong connection which you you know star wars is bigger than star trek but you don't see a star wars nasa well star wars didn't inspire people to join nasa star wars inspired people to write movies probably you know and tell stories and while star trek did that too it also inspired there are a lot of people there are astronauts and other people working at nasa because of star trek there are a lot of them which is what this documentary is about in a lot of ways because she became an inspirational figure when they needed someone to help bring in people of color and women into the space program. 
um, for the shuttle program specifically, you know, and these people who didn't trust NASA because NASA obviously started off being just a bunch of white guys in the sixties with the same haircut. So check out the interview. More importantly, watch women in motion on Paramount plus. He did mention that he and his partners are developing a pitch now for Paramount plus for another Star Trek related documentary, which sounds like there's both appetite at Paramount plus and you know, he has some idea, but he, he wouldn't tell me what it was. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what it is. But uh, so, but that's good news that we could be seeing more Star Trek documentary stuff on Paramount Plus in years to come. Great. I think it's time to wrap things up with our bits, as we call them. We're at the end. I'll start off. I often, as everyone does, I guess, look at what's trending on Twitter. And sometime last week, midweek, I noticed Star Trek was trending on Twitter. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, interesting. And But then when you looked at it and you go, what's going on? Because it was all this K-pop stuff, right? There's all these these Korean K-pop fans talking about Star Trek. And what happened was a member of the band BTS, which... They're huge. Living, They're living under a rock. Yes. They're the Beatles. The modern day Beatles, essentially, of Korean music, um, were guests on Stephen Colbert's show. And they're famous for popularizing, I don't know if they came up with it, but this kind of little hand sign, which makes the a tiny little heart. And the gag on the Colbert show was other hand signs they're working on. And one of the members of the band had this little thing where he does the Vulcan salute, except he says he created it and he, that Star Trek took it from him, which is obviously since he wasn't uh, born. <laughs> right. It was a, it was a joke. Yeah. Right. And he's like, had some weird thing about how, because Star Trek is in the future, that's how they could take yeah. it from him. Right. Um, and it was funny and clips of that, like go onto Twitter and suddenly K-pop fans are obsessed about Star Trek and it was another because the K-pop fans are famous for taking over Twitter hashtags. They often do this with politics where you see something you think is like super political and then it's all these K-pop fans. They have power and they're in the, in the masses. There's so many fans and they will absolutely unite to do something like that. And And to show how powerful this was, William Shatner got involved and that's when you know it's important, right? Because he then tweeted a picture of this Korean uh, member of BTS doing the salute and William Shatner endorsed the idea. And it was, I I mean, I I haven't checked, but, you know, it had like hundreds of thousands of likes. It may have been one of his more popular tweets of all time. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. So, but there's a link to that in the show notes. So what's your bits my bits is a book that i was i'm gonna be honest was supposed to review for trek movie and i still haven't done don't be mad at me tony i know it's terrible i'm not mad okay well you should be anyway it's this now i am though yeah now i'm gonna make you mad because it's a delightful book and i should write it up so it's a book called swords starships and superheroes from star trek to xena to hercules um, and it's written by Paul Robert Coyle, who's a writer who it's so funny because, you know, he said as he's writing, he doesn't sound like an old guy. And then you realize, oh, he used to write First Streets of San Francisco. 
you know, <laughs> it was like a really old show that I didn't even watch as a kid, but was, you know, around a lot. And Jake and the Fat Man and all these old shows. But anyway, um, he pitched, to st- he wrote a couple of Star Trek episodes in the 90s. He pitched to them a lot. He actually, his teacher, he was studying writing and DC Fontana was one of his teachers and she invited him to pitch for the animated series, which he did. And he kind of sold the story. And then he thought that he was supposed to write it, even though she said not to, and he did. And then they'd nixed it in the meantime. So, (laughs) but he, um, he did some contributions to next generation, like suggestions. And it's funny. He pitched the story that became Sarek that episode, but it wasn't Sarek because they were told don't bring back any legacy characters you're not allowed and then they decided to take the story but make it Sarek but he has he includes like his outlines for episodes he includes like a picture of a handwritten note he got from Michael Piller this was during the open door policy when you could pitch to Star Trek and he talks about how that worked and what he pitched. He actually created the character of Seska, which is interesting because he wrote State of Flux. But then because they seeded her into earlier stories so that there would be more meaning by the time we got there, he never got the financial rewards of creating a character. Oh, man. I know. Is, and he, he, is said, he upset about this? Or well, he just accepted the business? He said he didn't fight it at the time because he figured he'd be writing a lot more episodes for the show. And then he did not write a lot more episodes for the show. So there you go. So he's, you know, I think he was a little bummed. He wrote Whispers, the Deep Space Nine episode, Whispers. Um, so just, but I love, he really, he he puts in his outlines. He shows how his, how his ideas changed. I mean, in, in maybe not as much detail, but I loved in David Gerald's book, the way that he talked about all his the different phases of trouble with tribbles before it got to that final version and so you get a little bit of that because you see these early versions and what the feedback was and he did great he ended up like running the shows i think xena and hercules so he did just fine but it's a pretty fascinating book and we'll put in a link to buy it i think it's well worth reading it just i'm i'm a writer so i find it fascinating i love knowing how tv works not the business side, of course, but this is the side I'm the most interested in. You know, television has changed, but there's something you always hear these great stories about what it was like to pitch to Michael Piller, mm-hmm. who's a le- who's a legend, and that is such a great period in the '90s. Every, basically, every writer in Hollywood would pitch a Star Trek story, you know, and they'd all come in. I mean, apparently, it was very major destination in Hollywood to come in. And that kind of stuff doesn't really happen anymore. No. You're either in the writer's room or you're not. Right. And, no. And uh, you can't, I mean, unless you have an agent, like he said, he talked to Alex Kurtzman and said, so you guys aren't doing that policy anymore. And I was like, yeah, no, we're not. And he said, what's the best way to, no, no, nobody is. That. Star Trek was the only show really that did it. So, but it just was well, part of, but back in the Ironsides days, everyone was doing that too. No, I mean, but by the how... t- but in the like late eighties and nine and through the nineties, other shows weren't really doing that. And Star Trek That's was true. the show that was doing it. Um, and it was a policy started by the original series. I was thinking it would be great if Strange New Worlds crossed that line and would bring in sci-fi authors and stuff like we saw with the original series. Yeah. They ran into problems with that because often these people are, you know, great at writing ideas, but they don't know how to write for television necessarily. And then specifically for Star Trek. I mean, that was a problem in the original, like, you know, you can let's, you could talk about City on the Edge of Forever for a long time. 
and yeah. how that had to be turned into a Star Trek episode from a totally different but fantastic story. I mean, George R. R. Martin pitched for the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> and was was told he was too sci-fi or something like that. You know, he was like, that, you know, that doesn't exist anymore, but it would be fun if it did for Strange New World. And that's it for an extended <laughs> new news discussion with the All Access Star Trek Talk about podcast. extended. That was a very yes. extended discussion. We will be back next week, as we are every week, except for Memorial Day weekend, <laughs> um, with All Access Star Trek. So thank you for uh, listening. and If you're uh, still here, thank you for staying. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>